0: That's a very, very interesting question, um, Shakya. Philosoph- philosophically, for the point of view that winning always implies that someone is losing. Yes. Right. Okay. So, when you go through a, say, you're watching your favorite football team, for instance, right? And suddenly, in the first five minutes of the game, your team is three goals up. And then, for the balance 87 minutes of the game, you're just defending the other team can't catch up. You know who's won in the first three minutes and that's the end of that. But instead, if it's a one-all draw going into the 87th minute and it's been a tense game and one of the teams then scores a last-minute winner, you know, your um, outpouring of emotion is much stronger as a result of that. And you have, you have what I would think is a better experience at that game. But it's an emotional experience for us who are watching. It's a totally emotional experience. And if you watch players who are on either side of one of those games, if they've absolutely thrashed the opposition, you know, they're not too happy about the win. They'll take the win, they'll be like, okay, thanks guys. See you later, maybe see you next week or something like that. But if you see someone who's won a really close, tight game then you see the euphoria, they're jumping on each other's backs, they're hugging, they're crying, they're laughing, they're waving to the crowd, you know, that kind of thing happens. So unfortunately, you can't talk about winning and winning being overrated if you're not also talking about losing because it's two sides of the same coin. If you look at the results in the two examples I gave you, yes, team A won by three goes to nil and in the by scoring them in the first five minutes, they still won the game. But in that dramatic tense finish, Team A may still have won, but the emotions that both teams feel at the end are much more strong in the second example because you've gone through that whole emotional process of is this going to happen, is it not, that uncertainty, a moment of brilliance, you know, it's a narrative, chart. So the game in the first example that I gave you is not a nice narrative. It's a a book in which you know the plot twist in the first five pages, right? But a good book is one that keeps you engaged and then bang hits you in the final chapter, right? So I think you have to look at winning and losing as two of the, and as not just absolutes, you have to look at them in forms of narratives. So if I can take you to a couple more examples, Emma Raducanu, who won the Wimbledon Championship this year, youngest woman to do so in a long, long time, and also the first wild card ever to win. Actually, sorry, the U.S. Open. Uh, what am I saying? Uh, the U.S. Open. So, so she was part of uh, two teenagers to do battle in a U.S. Open final, probably for the first time in history. And when you look at her story and her Chinese mother, her Romanian father, an odd mix if there ever was one, the fact that she has grown up in Canada, she's uh, played tennis for uh, the UK, she's had her training in the UK. You look at that whole story and you look at uh, Leila Fernandez also who was her opponent, you look at that story and you're looking at more than just two tennis players. You're looking at two people who have come up through the system, two young people taking the future of tennis with them, you know, holding this brand for tennis as well, both smiling. They're not bad tempered. They're not pointing their fingers at umpires. You know, that whole thing is there. So before you come to who has won or lost the match, you already have a feel good story in this game. Uh, Similarly, you go back to the Olympics. I'm not sure if you followed that story but it was probably the story of the Olympics where the high jump, event came down to um, a tie. And then you had these two gentlemen, uh, Gianmarco Tamberi and also Murtaz Esa Barshin from Qatar, Tamberi from Italy, who had both had very similar stories leading up to the Olympics of 2021. They both suffered the same injury and they were both very depressed about it and they both helped each other recover from that same injury as well. So they were very good friends going into this. And when they came to a tie, then they decided that you know, they don't want to go any further. They're just going to uh, share the gold medal. And that was the story that really made a lot of people feel good about the Olympics. But if you look at that story, Shakya, yeah, the, the, the everyone is a winner fairy tale may not be something that happens all the time so you can't talk about winning without talking about losing because ideally according to the rules according to the rules both tambere and uh, bashin should really have gone for a jump off with each other so that one of them won the gold one of them won the silver so you know sports is one of the few things that still remains binary for there to be a winner there has to be a loser But I think what to answer to come back circuitously to the answer to your question is, I think it's really important that we focus on the winning and focus on being the best and going for it, because I think that it's not just me, but I think a lot of uh, elite level sportsmen also uh, think that what Tamburi and Bashim did was a bit of a cop out, that they exploited the rules to get there, and because they were friends. There is a suggestion that they might have colluded as well to get two goals for themselves. So there are stories that can be woven into that. So that's why it's more pure when there is a winner and a loser. Obviously, there are situations where that shouldn't happen, uh, especially when two champions can't be separated, like the 19, uh, 2019 Cricket World Cup, where they had to do a count back and see how many boundaries one team had scored in order to separate the teams. And when it's a ridiculous situation like that, I think you should give um, two people having a, a winner. But what I'm trying to say is I think we really need to focus more on the whole narrative of the game, the sport, the two teams that are there, and not just completely discard the loser, which is what tends to happen. And if I'm coaching teams, I always say, you know, if you won a game, You really need to bring yourself down to the level of the team that have lost it because next week you could be in that losing team. Respect those guys. Pay honour to the people who have uh, brought you to this level where you have to excel and you really need to not discard losers and pick only winners. And I think that's also a reflection of uh, the culture we live in now where we just remember the winners. And I think as sportsmen, we really need to make a better go of the process. The, the, understand that you know, whoever may be losing in the last over of a cricket match has put just about as much work or as more work than you. Maybe you just got a little bit lucky uh, in, in order to win that game. So I think it's really important that uh, we take winning and losing in the same stride and uh, don't overrate winning and don't underrate the effort that comes from someone who may have lost.
1: Definitely, because we had one situation in school where we were debating, and um, we lost very badly to the other team. And the other team, I think, went out of their way to really rub it in that we had lost and that they'd won, like they were miles ahead of us. And um, But we then had another debate where we lost again, but the other team was so humble and nice about it. And when you look at that narrative, that is such a wholesome environment to be in because even though you've lost, you don't start feeling mm-hmm. like you're a real loser and disregarded because of it. So, and you are very right in pointing out that for sportsmanship, I think the a part of sportsmanship is definitely the fact that you have to have a loser and a winner but it's not the fact that you disregard the loser because even from the loser, I suppose, there's so much that you can learn from them, isn't it?
0: Yes, because you going back to that whole winning mindset thing, Shakya, and using your example, you say you lost badly in the first debate and then you lost in the second debate as well, but you felt a little bit better, but chances are you may have improved from that first debate to the second. So you didn't lose the second one as badly. So in my book, you're still winning. So that's why I think it's important that uh, we separate the elite athletes, the professional athletes from the rest of us mere mortals. And we have to realize that, say, if I'm uh, swimming 100 meters in a particular time and I win that race, but then I move on to a higher quality race, I swim a better time, but I end up coming third or fourth or whatever, I've still improved. Even though the quality of my opposition has improved and as a result, I've lost as well. So it's important in that winner's mindset us also for us also to be relative and not just completely absolute in just asking whether you're winning or losing. Because the quality of performance also makes a big difference, um, Shakya. And going back to your example, you know, I, I, I will put my hand up and say I've been... Uh, One of those terribly obnoxious people uh, who would maybe rub it into the loser and be, uh, you know, that kind of thing. But you kind of learn from that. And I would like to think now, maybe 25 years on, uh, that I would coach my teams to be much more gracious, even if they do win, and very, uh, you know, very humble in victory because it really makes a huge difference. I mean, the fact that you remember that incident was just one of many debates I'm sure you've had, but that's what you remember. You may not even remember the topic. You may not even remember the the amount of marks you got, but you remember what you felt there. And I think it's really important when we are playing our sports and that's where teachers come in. That's where coaches come in because as a 16-year-old boy or a 17-year-old girl or whatever you may be, you are still full of, Either testosterone or adrenaline, and you're still finding your know, feet, right? You need guidance, so you need someone to tell you, "Hey, guys, sorry, you behaved really badly there. I want you to go and apologize to that team, and you know, congratulate them, and don't be, you know, don't dishonor the school tie that you're wearing by behaving like a spoiled brat." And I think there's not enough of that that happens. I don't think there are enough teachers that pull up their students for that kind of behavior. Because again, teachers and coaches and people are judged, and maybe even heads of schools are judged by how many trophies you won. It doesn't matter whether you're actually churning out boys who are well-rounded, girls who are capable of doing so much, uh, all of that kind of thing. You are not judged on that, but you're one, you're judged on. Okay, when did you last win the Royal Thomi, or no, when did you win the LC Visaka Bragitta, or whatever, you know? And that's the stuff that's Schools should not be judged on and certainly not the criteria for heads of schools or masters in charge or coaches to be judged on especially not at a junior level and I think we're chasing winning so much we're chasing the results so much that we are overlooking the process we're overlooking the narrative and instead of talking about winning in that one particular event in that one particular tournament We need to take our winning with a capital w and look at it as are these kids winning in life are they going to be much better human beings as a result of this process
1: absolutely and talking about the whole idea of winning in life and that's what we really need to inculcate in our students and in the future generations to come how is it that those who win on the field and with their sports can't seem to win of this field. And it makes you wonder, isn't the winning mindset something that's transfer? Isn't it a transferable skill, even in the field of life?
0: It should be a transferable skill if we are focusing on the stuff that we've been talking about so far, Shakya. If we're focusing on uh, the process rather than the result. Because it's often that you know somebody works really hard for something, and then they lose, and then they feel that they're worthless and somebody who feels that they're worthless doesn't really go through life as a very happy person. And, you know, I I hear uncles at the Royal Thomian all the time talking about what they did when they were 18 or 19 and how great they were or whatever. And if you're still at 45, 50, or sometimes even 65 and 70, if you're still talking about a school cricket match that you played, you know, what have you been doing for the last 50 years, mate? You know, have, isn't there something else that we can talk about now? And unfortunately, those uh, experiences tend to crystallize, and They tend to crystallize for, for a long time. And then you end up either feeling uh, overrating yourself because you happen to win something when you were 18, or you end up underrating yourself because you happen to be, you know, something, it rained or, the court was slippery or something like that and you end up ended up losing a game and you judge your whole life by that one experience and then you go through life thinking that you are either this great person or this abject loser so i think those are the things that we need to really address from a psychological perspective i think sports has become so big now and such an entertainment factor uh, much bigger than it was when, you know, I was in school, the pressures are far greater. So I think we really do need to address the psychological aspect and uh, tell these kids that, you know, if you lose one game, if you lose one tournament, uh, it's not the end of the world. You can go out there and uh, do a, achieve a lot more great things. So, uh, you know, you find in Sri Lankan sports, a lot of the time kids excel when they're 18 or 19. And suddenly, that's the highest level of sports that they play. They don't go on to play national sports, not a lot of them anyway. Uh, they don't go on to play national or international level sport. And because of that, you know, their apex of life is at 18 or 19, which is a little bit of a shame because you want to be able to keep getting better and better and better at something as you go along. And then realize that, okay, when you can't play this sport anymore, suddenly there's no huge abyss in your life. You know, what do I do now with the rest of my life? You have to have uh, something that uh, corresponds to that. And I think it's very important that we start addressing those things very early on and uh, you know, make sure that uh, your under-15 netball match doesn't make you feel the same way as you know, Roger Federer would do if he lost a five-set thriller to Rafael Nadal. It's, it's not important. Just carry on.
1: Exactly, because uh, I left school right after my O levels. And um, when I left and moved on to doing the diploma and the degree, something that even I noticed for myself was that I was constantly stuck in the past, constantly thinking about, hey, you know what, in school, I did really well at debating or, you know, I this auditory competition took place. And you realize when you are stuck in the past and that glory or even that failure that you had or that that match that you lost, you can't really propel yourself forward as an individual. So I think as you correctly mentioned, for um, a winning mindset to be a transferable skill, even in life, you really need to know how to apply what you've learned into the future and not be stuck in the past with it.
0: Yeah, you say that, Shakya, and it sounds simple when you say it, but it's really not easy, is it? I mean, we all know that. Um, just as a personal example, I, I had the same thing, and there it was funny because it was actually the success that kept, held me back, um, and I happened to win the Toastmasters all Island Best Speakers Contest when I was 90, uh, and I think I was the youngest winner of it at the time, and it was, you know, it was a Big national award. And, you know, I was quite happy that I had won it because it was a really good, uh, really good uh, field that we had. A lot of my friends as well were in that same finals uh, of the Toastmasters competition that year. And then I went on to law college and then there was an oratorical competition there. And obviously that's not as big, it's not as prestigious, but I didn't want to enter. I didn't want to enter because I was like, well, I won this big thing. What if I lose this one? No, that's, I can't do that. That's just going to be dig for me. And then I happened to tell this to one of my friends. And, and that's when you have these, uh, these moments in life. You know, there's sometimes, mostly they're unplanned. And somebody gives you a bit of wisdom from somewhere uh, that just jolts you. And we were walking across to a third friend's house. And I said, Mata, I'm having this issue. And he said, so what? You're just never going to compete again for the rest of your life. And I was like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> and that's literally what he was going to be. Just because you've had success at nineteen doesn't mean you're going to, you know, not risk losing, not, not risk failing at anything else for the rest of your life. I mean, if I had stopped competing at that point in my life, you know, it wouldn't have been worth living. Uh, so it it can, you know, you can get stuck in the past in a, in in because of success or failure but neither of those things are good. You just have to live for the moment. You have to trust the process of what you're doing. You have to trust the process of, you know this is what made me win before. And if I do more of that, get better at that, then chances that I will continue to win are greater. And if I lose to someone who's better than me, so what?
1: Definitely, absolutely. And I think that shifting mindset is very important. And having have looked at the whole concept of winning and glory and how you should, um, how to keep winning without being obnoxious and winning the mindset being a transferable skill. Let's look at the flip side of um, the whole concept of uh, winning, losing and everything in between. Now it's easy to win and feel really good about yourself and continue with life with an extra sense of confidence, But when it comes to losing, how do you really keep losing without being disheartened?
0: Um, It's difficult, I'll tell you that. But again, it's about expectations, uh, Shakya. It's about expectations of um, how well you're going to do. So I think you need to be accurate when you set those examples. Uh, Say for instance, you're a small school that's just started off playing a particular sport. And there is this big school, rich school in Colombo that has been playing the sport for several years. You know, you have to have a set of adults, a set of intelligent adults. And unfortunately that's not a large subset of people in this country. But you have to have a set of intelligent adults who are going to say, look guys, we're going to start this sport. Uh, We're really new at it. We don't have a culture of it. So chances are, when you're going to go to this tournament, you're going to go and lose and that's okay. That's our expectation, but what I want you to do is I want you to talk to the players that you're playing against, to go and meet them, go and ask them how they do certain things, go and ask them why is it that they do this instead of this and start learning from these people. So if we set our expectations right, then again, we come back to the relative rather than the absolute. So if I'm training for a meet and I know that there's this really fantastic swimmer that I'm not going to be able to beat, I'm not going to get upset just because I get into the final and don't meet, beat that person. I'm focusing on myself. I'm thinking, okay, I need to go from uh, I'm swimming a one minute 100 meters freestyle to swimming a sub one minute 100 meters freestyle. And if I do that, then even though I've lost, I've won. So I might have lost the absolute thing, but I've won the relative thing. So um, when you say somebody keeps losing, I think you mean that they keep losing in the absolute sense, that they don't end up winning the game or winning the gold medal. But I think there's so many more wins that you can get in subcategories of doing better, your performance is better, you're finishing the race with more energy left in your tank. So that means you can push a little harder the next time, that kind of thing. But all of that Shakya requires people who can guide and uh, set expectations realistically. And I'm sorry to say, I don't think we have enough of those people in the school system who are in charge of kids. I think there are a lot of people who just slave drive to try and get a particular particular result, which again leads us back to your burnout point from earlier on. Um, So I think we need to really change, adults need to change their attitude towards how we expect sports to be. Uh, make sure that there is enjoyment. If there is enjoyment, the quality of the sport will go up automatically.
1: Absolutely. And something that you mentioned about uh, the relative and the absolute sense of victory and in losing is something that I never really thought about as well, because I think it's the mindset. You're always thought to look at winning or losing for that matter, by, by the absence of a medal or a trophy or an accolade that you should have had. And you realize when you look back, as long as you are willing to learn from what you made your mistakes on, and as long as you're willing to push through, you actually really do grow as a human being. And I think for me, even later on in school, I guess a lot of it really depended on, you know you were so excited to win all the badges and medals and say, hey, look at my display of trophies and medals. But in the absence of it, when you really look, I think there's so much that I would have learned from my failures that has really helped me um, even now in life to really grow as a person and that shift in mindset once again is absolutely important, the unfortunate thing like you do mention is that we don't really show our children and the future generation that aspect of winning and losing. And something that my dad often tells me is that there's a difference between losing and being a loser. But when you go out there and you lose a match and you are not the one at the top, it's very difficult not to feel like a loser. So how do you really not feel like one and bounce back stronger?
0: Again, I think personally, you've got to set your expectations right. And I think that you also have to go into uh, any game, any game situation, any sporting event, knowing that there is a 50%, at least a 50% probability. And if you set your expectations right, you know what your competition is going to be. Uh, you know whether this person or this team is much better than you or not. So I think you have to set your expectations and say, OK, our chances of winning this game are about 25%. But we are going to give it 150 percent effort and let's see whether we can do that uh, so there there are obviously david and goliath stories where that has happened and those are the stories that keep us going right uh, but setting expectations realistically is very very important so and also you come back to what we spoke about earlier about the people who win if they are gracious if they are humble if they say guys you made us work so hard for that win. I am so relieved to have beaten y'all. Then you might come away from that match, even though you lost, you might come away with much more self-respect and you know much more, uh, much more kudos to yourself because you've actually made the number one team work really hard. Uh, so that's that's really important. And you know, I I remember one of my uh, one of my proudest achievements in sports. Uh, was um, not, none of the medals or any of the tournaments that we I've won with various teams or whatever, or individually, even that. that. Because when I was playing a game of pickup basketball at King's Cross in London, right, and there's this, um, had this bunch of guys who used to play, and there were Greeks, there were Italians, and there were also a lot of um, uh, maybe... Uh, British citizens from African descent. I don't know what what the politically correct phrase is, but they were black kids, right? And these guys are genetically on a different level. Guys who are my uh, height are jumping up and dunking and stuff like that, which, uh, you know, I as an Asian can't even hope to do, right? The, you know, I have to be six foot six or more to be able to to dunk. You know, that's that's kind of muscle explosive power that they have. And I remember once I was playing against this guy who was maybe a little bit taller than me. And I had got the ball back to the basket and I backed into him and I shot a turnaround jumper and it went in. And he was pushing against me with all his strength, right? And uh, I was managing to hold him off. And then we were running back down to the other and he was like, "There, man, you're strong. And for me, that was the greatest compliment that anybody could have ever given me. This guy who's super strong He's telling me that I'm strong as well. And I was like, whoa, I can now die happy. So it's those little moments, Shakya. It's not so much about, you know, winning a particular medal. You're not going to look at that medal and be like, oh, wow, this is so great. It's just those little experiences that you remember. And those are the ones that make you feel good about yourself or maybe slightly bad about yourself. But hey, you know, you're not a better person as a result of it.
1: Absolutely. And I think those little moments can be cherished for so long because the victory is there. You know, you've got the medal to show for it. But I think those small, tiny moments really hold a special place in your heart and they make you um, feel happy and really think about it. And something that I've also realized is that um, that setting expectations is of absolute importance. Maybe we don't I think pay enough attention to it, but if we can do that, maybe our entire mindset towards the whole concept of winning and losing would change altogether. And now I think I'm moving into a bit of a loaded question, but uh, he, I, I think it might be an interesting question to really explore. So. Again, it boils down to the question of, is winning really a big deal? Because like most things, even in the field of sports, money is involved, without a doubt. And if the money factor was removed, would people still really play simply because they love for the sport? Because they love the sport. And if so, isn't it a little unfair to think that someone gets paid more for simply kicking a ball as opposed to someone who might really find the cure for cancer. And isn't money really the primary motivation over here and not the true thrill and the pride of playing that sport?
0: Uh, Yes, I agree. At the elite level, it certainly is money. I don't think anybody is playing the sport purely for the fun of it, you know. Emma Raducani's story is fantastic, but at the same time she walks away with $1.8 million or something like that, which is a fair bit of money. Uh, for someone who's 18 so that's but also on the flip side you have so many of the expenses that come with it you know you've got to pay for plane tickets for your whole family and your team you've got to put them up in a hotel in Manhattan and you know all those expenses come through so just because you win 1.8 million dollars it's not going into your bank account you probably have expenses worth about 1.5 million dollars in you know when you're winning that kind of cash Uh, so it's easy to um, it's easy to make a moral and value judgment on that uh, shakya yeah. But I think we really need to look at the economics as well. If you look at the English Premier League or the uh, Indian Premier League in cricket uh, or the English Premier League in football, I should say, um, these players are paid obscene amounts of money, right? They're paid like uh, millions of dollars in uh, when you look at uh, these teams. And you may wonder, you know, this is, it seems pretty trivial compared to someone who's slaving away in a lab and coming up with a vaccine or coming up with a cancer cure or something like that. But we also have to realize that um, the same world which is causing us cancer and causing us the COVID and causing us the diabetes also needs a little bit of a spark. You know, It needs, it needs a world where we can turn on the TV and see some great display of athletic endeavor that we can aspire to a uh, uh, great feat of entertainment, uh, a, bit of, uh, a bit of a feel good story, like I mentioned about Camberry and uh, and uh, Bashim. So sports is also part of something that sets society, something that placates us into, you know, not feeling that life is always this miserable, terrible thing. I know there are plenty of fans that, function from Saturday to Saturday, uh, they uh, they watch their team and they talk about their team from their last, their team's last performance from Sunday to Wednesday and they talk about the anticipation of the next match from Wednesday to Saturday and that is kind of their life. If you look at uh, this, gear, uh, this um, uh, book that was written by a guy called Nick Hornby, it's called Fever Pitch and he uh, follows uh, uh, Arsenal football club in London and then he writes about how the team's performances affect his own life and it's it's a beautiful point and book if you can uh, do get a copy of it and have a read it's just uh, wonderful to see how a team's performance can really impact people's lives at a very granular level Uh, so when you look at the fact that those sports stars have such a far-reaching wide impact and the fact that they also do a lot of charity with their money you know guys like Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, guys like LeBron James, who are the highest paid athletes in the world, uh, they do a lot of charity. I know guys like uh, Sangakkara, Muttai Maridharan, Jayawad, all of these people do a lot of very good work with charity also in Sri Lanka. So it's not like they're lining their pockets and driving the fanciest cars and stuff like that. They are doing some good work uh, with that money. So I really do think that Uh, there is a market for it. If there wasn't a market for it, we wouldn't be able to pay these guys this kind of money. But also whether, you know, we should make the moral judgment of whether this trivial thing of kicking a ball uh, is something that we should pay top dollar for is not something I'd like to get involved in so much, Shakya, because, you know, you and I have tried to kick that ball. You know, you and I have tried to shoot that ball. We have tried to hit that Tennis ball with the racket. Maybe we've failed, so I think we need to also appreciate that these guys are on a different level from us. They've put in this work, and they deserve to get paid the money that they uh, they get paid. But let's not uh, let's not uh, kind of a let's not sugarcoat it. It is a job, <laughs> and after a while, you know, it it just does become a job. That maybe. Uh, some of the cricketers don't enjoy playing cricket as much as we might enjoy having a cricket match with our neighbors on the street. Maybe they don't enjoy that IPL match as much as we do, but for them it's a job. And you know the reason that we enjoy that cricket match on the street is because it's not our job. And I think you know there's a there's a great disparity between doing what you like and being paid to do what you like. So uh, the, these all kind of questions that will keep cropping up and maybe won't have a clear cut answer
1: definitely and i think you can't take away the fact that um, our world is built on the basis of money you can't take away the fact that money is not an important factor and i guess if someone really could make the money out of you know do, being really good at what they do i suppose you really can't blame them and Honestly, when it comes to these questions, the moral line is so blurry. You want to be as moral as you can about it. But I don't think that moral line is ever clear cut. It's um, it's never black and white. It's always a gray area. And, And now we come to our final question. We touched on this a little bit, but I think now we can finally address this more in depth. And it's the fact that winning is often associated with self-worth. The moment you win, you feel grand about yourself. And the moment you lose, you feel absolutely terrible. And that's down to the fact that your self-worth is based on the accolades that you have. I'm not essentially sure if that's a healthy notion and for self-worth to be associated with um, the whole concept of winning. So how do you really remove that notion?
0: How we remove that notion is by focusing on the process of doing something, rather than the end result of the achievement. So if you feel good every day about waking up really early, going for training, spending some time with your friends, bettering your timing from the day before, or having a laugh with your mates uh, first thing in the morning before you go in and have to trudge through school. If you enjoy that process, and you're setting yourself little goals every week, then um, I think that becomes far more of a manageable situation where you're not pegging yourself worth to one particular thing. I think, um, say for instance, there was a school team recently. Um, Well, let's take the traditional school games, um, Shakya. I'll just use the cricket in the boys, for example, where you've got, say, Ananda Nalanda, and you've got Royal versus St. Thomas, you've got St. Joseph versus St. Peter's. So you could have a really good season where one of those teams wins the championship. But unfortunately, at the start of the season, your coach has told you, you know, nothing matters unless you win the big match, right? So your big match can be your 11th match of the season. You may have won 10 and something happens and you lose one. So when you look at the results that these guys have achieved, they have won 90% or more of their games. But suddenly because of this unrealistic expectation that some teacher or coach or uh, school principal or old boy has said, suddenly they feel like they're a bunch of losers because they haven't managed to win this big match. And that is the thing that uh, you know life depends upon. So again, setting those goals realistically early on, making sure that at the start of the season, you don't focus on the end of the season is important. You know, you shouldn't uh, say, if you bring that to a real life example, I don't think a parent should say, you know, at 10 years old, tell their child by the time you're 22, if you're not a lawyer, you fail, right? I don't think any parent should tell a child that at 10. At 10, they should be focusing on making it to the next grade. You know, at, at 15, maybe they should be focusing on all levels. At 18, they should be focusing on A-levels. At 19, they should you know, figure out what they want to do uh, at university. But if you're at 10 years old, you're focusing on becoming a lawyer, you've got a hell of a long uh, journey where you're going to feel very, very anxious about yourself. So the trick, Shakya, is to break it down into very manageable, bite-sized, achievable goals. That way, your self-worth is not going to be tarnished too much. Even if you don't win, you know you've improved from where you were on Monday. You're better than you were on Monday on Friday. So as a result of that, you feel you're constantly getting better, and any kind of impact that a loss might have, is greatly mitigated by the fact that you've set achievable targets and achieved them along the way.
1: Definitely. And I think think sometimes self worth should come from within and the fact that you are making constant improvement as you did say, because um, it doesn't really, I mean, as long as you're growing and you're improving, that's a good enough reason to feel proud about yourself, isn't it?
0: Yes, it it certainly is, because I think it's uh, often very simple for us to see somebody like Usain Bolt or, say, Michael Phelps, the most decorated Olympian of all time. And you see him swim the race, and he swims maybe 50 seconds, a couple of minutes, depending on what the race is, and then he ends up with the medals. But we are not there to see the 10, 12,000 hours he's putting in uh, 12,000 uh, meters that he's putting in every day. you know, Alone, swimming along this black line. I mean, it's it's not easy, Shakya, yeah? and these people are winning because they're putting in a lot of hard work. And say Usain Bolt, he runs the 100 in nine and a half seconds. He runs the 200 in 19 and a half seconds, but he's Trained all of his life hours and hours and hours a day in order to be able to do that. So I think it's uh, kind of um, a bit of a sh- bit of a drawback of social media that we tend to see just the highlights mm-hmm. and don't see the hard work that has gone into it. So it's like they talk about the swan on the water. you know the swan looks very serene when they're sitting on the water, but you don't see its legs paddling furiously underneath. So that's something that I think we need to uh, take cognizance of and realize that uh, it's only if we put in hard work and keep improving day by day that we can have any expectation or anticipation of winning something worthwhile. So that's where self-worth needs to be, um, uh, to be assessed. And I think at, at a younger age, it's really important for adults Uh, coaches, teachers, parents, I keep mentioning these uh, categories of people, Uh, they really do need to make sure that we're looking for realistic expectations from kids, we're looking for realistic targets, and as a result, you're not affecting and damaging anybody's self-worth who is in your care.
1: Definitely, and on that note, we have reached the end of our conversation on winning losing and everything in between. Thank you so much Shana Kamal Singh for joining me on this episode and thank you to the audience for listening in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We've looked at winning and concepts such as how do you win without being full of pride and without being obnoxious. We've looked at topics and and explored questions on working hard and how to avoid burning out. We've dived into a little bit on the side of losing and how should you lose without being disheartened? And we've looked at how we as communities and as individuals should get together to really remove this notion of winning being associated with self-worth. We've also dove into a topic where we explored winning in terms of money and if money really was the motivation behind sports. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed our conversation. I've certainly had a wonderful time. With that, this is Shakya the Wiser, over and out.